rating, we are a team firmly on the bubble. I would say, yeah, on the bubble, yeah. There are some that are saying we should already be in. I don't know if I'd go that far. I think you need a couple more wins. I think mm -hmm. three more wins and you're solidly in, two, and you can make a case. I um, think that's the uh, that's the general consensus is if we well, sweep the rest of our home games, we're in. Yes. And, and that's the big thing is that before the Wisconsin game, the math was win four more games, and that math looked kind of difficult. It required uh, at least one road win. It required at least one ranked win. And beating Wisconsin one is probably the best win of the season. Uh, obviously, Purdue is a very strong team, but uh, winning at home is a lot easier than winning on the road. And Wisconsin is still an incredible team um, to take down in the, on the road in that fashion. Uh, and it just makes it so much easier knowing that now you have the opportunity to either lose a game at home or lose to an unranked team. If yeah. That, that is how the math works out uh, for the rest of the schedule. And I think it will be kind of different if it's like, oh, if Rutgers beats Penn State, uh, Michigan on the road, and uh, I don't know, maybe one more win. There aren't that many, like, not very impressive games left on the schedule as well. So winning three games regardless is probably going to be fine. I would say so. I would also say, you know, it also depends on, like, what site or what metric you're looking at. Because, like, Bart Torvik, for whatever reason, is, like, very – I'm not going to say biased because I don't think there's anything malicious about it. It's just the way their formula works out. Like they they like they are not convinced that Rutgers is in with with uh, 12 wins. And I mean I I I can't say that I a hundred percent like disagree necessarily. Just on the basis of like I I think that Rutgers is in with 12 wins based on I think that there's probably going to be that kind of late season bandwagony effect, but I also think that um I, I totally understand looking earlier in the season, not just obviously at the big three of losses against UMass, DePaul, and Lafayette, but even looking at games like Penn State on the road, uh Minnesota with none of their players, uh Northwestern especially in that first half, uh Maryland at home. Uh, there are definitely some not great losses on this team's track record, and the best thing for this team is that they are playing so well right now when they need to be playing really well against well, great teams. Dennis, I want to respond to those big three losses in November. It's, it, it was so long ago. That's the that's, and that's like, the thing. That's it's like I, that's what that's what kills me because like it was so long ago, and you know it's affecting us so much as we come to the end of the season. And also, you know, if you want to throw in the fact that. Geo Baker was not there for the UMass game, like, and was he there? And was, I and, mean, even if he, I think he was there for Lafayette, but he wasn't a hundred percent. You know, it was clear during the beginning of the season that you know, mm -hmm. I would say the first like, two months of his season were, were pretty heavily affected by that hamstring injury. I, I said this mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year. I remember talking about this. There's no preseason in college basketball. You have practices, but practices are not games. Like you can't get like you might scrimmage Villanova and say you're like the best team on the East Coast, but oh, like there's I, no, I remember those scrimmages. there's no like actual tangible scrimmage that you can watch or or preseason game that you can watch like the NBA where there's like eight games or even football even though they're trying to get rid of it there's uh, there's like three or four depending if you're in the Hall of Fame game or not like there's no preseason college basketball when there's no preseason you leave yourself susceptible to lose against losing against teams like Lafayette, UMass, DePaul. I mean this is. It makes it really easy. Like, if if Rutgers played Lafayette today, it might it, it it could be over by like you know the second media timeout basically because Rutgers is just so far ahead of where they were in November, and that's what really sucks because you know those games at the beginning of the year are really hurting us. And you know one last thing I'll say, those three games were decided by a combined what seven points. Like, I was talking to Brian Fonseca about this after the Maryland game. Like, if those games go differently, let's say we win those games by one score. Yes, like, we beat a bunch of really bad teams by just one score, but matter of fact, we won the basketball game. Then it doesn't really kill us. But we lost those games. That kid against Lafayette hit the shot against Ron Harper Jr. I actually watched that film back. Ron Harper Jr. completely gagged on the play. It was, it was his defensive uh, breakdown, but regardless of the fact, you know, that kid hit the shot, the UMass kid hit the shot, and, you know, DePaul turned into Golden State, and we're sitting here with those losses. Three shots. Three shots. Three shots are the difference. I've got the numbers on here right now. Dennis can attest. I've got I'm uh, looking at it, yeah. the Bartorvik uh, Bracketology. Uh, they have a feature where you can basically change the results of every game of the season, past or future. 
I basically flipped DePaul, Lafayette, Massachusetts based on three shots. If they don't go in, Rutgers is projected to finish 20-10, and 11-9 in the Big Ten, basically what we finished in 2020, um, and they're in the tournament, albeit as an 11 seed, but they're in. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, like, I, I totally understand. Like, I think it's a general thing with all sports. Like, they're all becoming more and more analytical. And, like, that's fine. I, I personally am for it. I'm for sabermetrics and all that. But I think the eye test has to still hold some weight. Like, this is not the same team that lost to UMass. It's not the same team that lost to Lafayette. You know, these three wins, you know, this is a team that if they played this way all season, they would have been ranked for most of the season. Like, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think this team would have been a top 25, if not a bubble top 25 team all season. And the way they're playing right now, I just think that these wins, you cannot leave them out of the tournament unless they collapse at the end of the season. I think three wins and, and a Big Ten win in a tournament. I think we do need one win in a tournament. I think I think for resume. But I really think that you cannot leave this team out. I, it would be a, a blasphemous to leave this team out of the tournament. I would say, I'll say this. I think I don't think there's a problem with analytics. I think analytics are good because you don't want to be too subjective. Um you know, otherwise, you know, like they're like a team like Gonzaga, as good as they are, you know, some would say, well, they shouldn't be a one seed because they play in the WCC, which is a stupid argument. I'm not saying I endorse that, but I you, get, know, you, you I open t- yourself up to that. I would say this, though. The analytics should be adjusted to have like a discount rate where late season results are weighted he- he- more heavily than early season results. A and win over Wisconsin in, on the road in February should be worth way more than a loss to Lafayette at home in November. I agree. In my opinion. I and, agree. And I, I I don't disagree. I just think it's a uh, more of a uh, subjective thing, whether you are looking at the entire team's body of work, regardless of uh, like when it happened, which I believe is what the selection people are trying to do um what what they set out to do rather than uh yeah you know what the the way you said it which i don't disagree with the way you've uh set it up but at the same time if it's going to be rated on that win-loss kind of mentality uh Chris, why are you just setting every game to a win? Of course, we're going to be a one seed if we just win every single game. I just want—I just want to mess with this thing. This At is Illinois, eighty-six, fifty-one win. Also, why are you? St- why are you? St- I just, that was really the first thing I. Clicked. Number one, Purdue, eighty-five to forty-five yeah, win. I'm doing it right now. Hang on. No, you—you you missed one. Oh, I missed Merrill. All right, we have to—we have to have some blemish. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, 29-1, three seed. Three seed. Hey, I mean. Oh, wait, no, I forgot to switch yeah, Indiana. Yeah, you, you, I made Indiana a loss. It was the Let Indiana was the yeah. only one you missed. Yeah. Let's see, does that get us into a one seed? I don't. I don't Actually, think it does. That'd be shocking if no, we No, still a three seed. That's honestly kind of uh, shocking. That means, that, that means we have to discount two seeds when we look at the Bart Torvik because we could win every game and it was, we'd still be a three seed. I, you, ever, you know what? I see what you mean now. I was I, trying, I to, like I was to, trying to tease out the Rutgers bias. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of that website that you can go on and like predict like every NCAA tournament game or every NCAA game period. Um, you know, you can throw Rutgers against like Gonzaga and see like who wins, and you can like do it a bunch of times and Is see that, if Rutgers wins. And I basically Ch- do that for like a March Madness bracket once in a while. Like yeah, every Chet year. Holmgren's ultimate mm-hmm. kryptonite, Cliff Amore, down low. <laughs> 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 but uh. No, I, I think I think one thing you gotta say about this Rutgers team too is is early in the season, you know, it was all about this team is relying on two guys to score the basketball, and without that, they're not gonna win games. And now, it, you know, it's like four or five guys can you know have 15, 20 a night and, and, and really step up. Like Paul Mulcahy is playing the best basketball of his career the past month, and uh, undoubtedly, you know, uh, in my opinion, he should have been Big Ten Player of the Week two weeks ago. Yeah. I digress, so I'll <laughs> leave it. But Cliff Amori. You know, we, we knew he was a monster down low, but he, he literally looks unstoppable inside 10 feet. And, and Dylan, I want to I go off that point, actually, and ask you guys a question that I'm going to ask Brightman later. You know, what is your biggest key for why this team is playing so well? For me, it's Paul Mulcahy. Having that third guy who's – I mean, Paul Mulcahy's taken such a leap in these past couple of weeks. And Even when ability, he doesn't score. His ability offense. to play primary ball handler roles, dish the ball – Play, I mean, his footwork in the paint is elite. I think everyone who watches the Rutgers games knows that. And, you know, his emergence to be that third guy behind Ron and Gio, because you mentioned it, Dylan. I mean, Ron and Gio, you know, they're really good players, but not every single game they're going to be, like, you know, on the money. That's just that's just a given fact. You don't – I mean, that's just a given fact. Not every 
no great players on their game every single night. And having Paul Mulcahy there to pick up the slack and then also, you know, get the role players involved, like Watt Mag, who's played really well, getting all those guys involved, it's just been huge. And, you know, my my assessment is just the emergence of Paul Mulcahy has just made all the difference. I want to hear what all you guys think. I mean, he's basically turned to Chris Paul the last couple of weeks. Like, if you look at his numbers <laughs> over the last, like, four games, like, it's, like, 23 points, nine assists. Um, I think he's shooting, like, 73%. Like, I mean, look, the shooting is going to cool off a little bit just because no one shoots at that level consistently. But he does so much beyond that that I'm not even, like, too concerned about that. I think he's just, like, he's That's a great— the thing. He was a starter for the team before he could shoot. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, Peichel, I think more than, you know, the average coach values the non-scoring parts of offense, the playmaking. Um, you know, in some cases, he'll crash the offensive glass. Um, you know, he just sees the floor really well. Um, that's been a massive asset. And I'll say this. I feel like he's gotten more comfortable in terms of his shot selection in the sense that, you know, I feel like he's he, before he was kind of trying to force things a bit. Whereas now he's more, you know, looking for his shot. And now defenses have to look out for him and adjust accordingly. And that opens lanes up for Ron, Geo, Cliff. I mean, we saw how many times they went back and forth with the pick and roll. I mean, that was just a joy to watch at the Cole Center on Saturday. His his size is like he's six foot six. He's like a legit six foot six out there. And his ability to bully smaller guards and use his footwork that I previously mentioned in the paint and, you know, set up Cliff Amore, set up, um, you know, other guys who are rolling to the rim, even Dean Reber, guys guys who are rolling to the rim. I mean, that that's huge. And, you know, also him being 6'6", he's able to see over defenders a lot more. And, um, you know, he's he's just been incredible these past couple of weeks and it's just been great to watch. Well, also him being able to work a little bit better uh... – inside the post because that's where a lot of his shots uh, are taken from the post uh it, it allows uh ron harper and geo baker to uh sit a little bit more easily in the perimeter and get those kinds of three-point opportunities that the they're kind of known for um and so it definitely helps kind of space out the defense a little bit more where you know you don't either have to worry about some dudes at the perimeter or trying to drive uh or Amori right under the basket. It really helps kind of space out the mid-range a lot better. Yeah, like I said, just completely revitalizes the offense, and I think we're seeing that now. I mean, I, is it, I, I don't know, Jack. Maybe it's just me, but it feels like they're getting a lot more open looks in general the last two weeks. Absolutely, and that's making the difference. The one thing that I'm concerned about moving forward with this team is that even with the emergence of Paul Mulcahy, this team is very, 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 very reliant on the starting five. I mean, those five guys, Harper, Mulcahy, Baker, Omori, and McConnell. By the way, I got to talk about Caleb McConnell once I'm done after done with this point. Um, those five guys are the heartbeat of the team more so than they should, if that makes sense. they We need you know other guys off the bench, I feel like, that could really pick up the slack. I know Paul Mulcahy, he's playing really well, but we need, like, I feel like we need that guy off the bench that could really come in and be instant offense, if that makes sense. Um, you know, Mwat Mag is great, but he's not instant offense. He's a great, you know, glue guy and role player. Dean Reber is not instant offense. Jalen Miller, I don't know if he is, he has any offense. And Oscar Palmquist, Andre Hyatt, you get the point. I think we need a guy who could really come in and get a bucket off the bench as another, you know, score, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know, I said I was going to talk about Kayla McConnell. I ha- that, Kayla McConnell is phenomenal. I think everyone knows that. Um, he's just, he, if he doesn't win, if he doesn't win Big Ten play, Defensive Player of the Year, I, I don't know what to say because he's At just. At this point, I don't think he, he can. He's 14 steals over the past three games. Mm-hmm. 14, 1-4. He had six in the Cole Center. Like it, he was, he was everywhere. Johnny Davis is like this elite scorer. By the way, I don't know what Johnny. I don't watch a lot of Wisconsin basketball, but Johnny Davis like just is really weird in the way he played. He just was not looking for a shot. I don't know if it was Caleb. I don't know. It was Caleb. It was, 
You think it was Caleb? I think Caleb just made him a non-factor on most possessions. Because when he they started to to looking for a options. shot, he started making like big-time shots, like it, shots that Caleb defended well, but he was just making it. But he didn't really look for a shot. But regardless, you know that kid scored thirty-seven against Purdue at Purdue. So like, you know, he's a top player in the Big Ten, top player in the country, and Caleb McConnell just went in there and like took him off his game. I mean, you see it a lot on offense where it's like a guy you got to look out for every time he's on the floor. And Caleb is that on defense. Like, if you're on offense and you're playing against Rutgers, you have to know where Caleb McConnell is at all times. Because if the ball, if the ball gets anywhere near him, like there's a there's a high chance he steals it or he at least causes some type of disruption. And you know, guys on offense when they when they like struggle and they can't really shoot, you kind of describe it as them playing four on five. I feel like with Caleb McConnell, a lot of times people playing Rutgers, it's a four on five type of mentality because it is going to be really hard to score on him, let alone get to the basket if he's going to be in most of the game. Like if he stays out of foul trouble, you know, it's he's a huge asset on defense. Obviously on offense, you know. He's not the best scorer. Like he's out there, and he's gonna start he, like, for his he defense. He finds ways to score, though. If he if he's able to take good looks and like make some of them, like he doesn't have to be a fifty percent shooter. But like against Wisconsin, he made two baskets. He shot six times, and I would say probably four to five of them were like wide open, good looks where I was like, all right, it didn't go in. It happens. But I mean, he's a major conference starter. Like he can shoot the basketball at a level that most human beings cannot it's oh, no. just a matter I, of I'm like, not saying that he yeah I, I, I what shoot. I'm saying is that I, I it's he definitely has the ability to make those kinds of shots but it's not really what he's in the game to do <laughs> but he, if he's completely wide open then he will occasionally get those kinds of plays and he should definitely take them if he's wide open. Yeah, like, exactly. His, his defensive presence. I mean, that's is what happened else. last year with Paul Mulcahy. Is people just left him open, and he'd just take threes occasionally. And it's like, all right, I know you can make <laughs> some shots like that occasionally. Also, sixteen for eighteen from the free throw line. This team, they they have a chance to do something that no Pikeville team has ever done, and that shoots seventy percent from the line. From the for the longest for all the time I've watched Rutgers basketball, especially under Pikeville. They could never shoot free throws. And now they're going on the road to the Kohl Center hitting 16 of 18 free throws. In a game where Wisconsin, I mean, Wisconsin was 9 for 17 from the free throw line. They missed a lot of free throws. And we ended up winning by 8, and we outscored um, Wisconsin by 7 at the free throw line. That's just, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in how important free throws are in a game. And, and Wisconsin... They, I don't know what was up with them on Saturday, but they did not hit free throws, and Rutgers did. I mean, Paul Mulcahy, 4-for-4. Four four. Ron Harper Jr., 6-for-7. Geo Baker, 4-for-4. Four four. And also, back to Ohio, the Ohio State game, Geo Baker nails two free throws to win the game. Kayla McConnell's 0-for-1. But Cliff Amore, 2-for-2. Like, that's huge. That, that That's huge, as Dylan McCoy would say. That's huge. That is something I would say. It's huge. And I mean, <laughs> you know, this team, obviously – Three massive wins. Their schedule still extremely difficult. But I got to say, Wednesday, uh, you know, if you asked me a week ago what was going to happen, I would have said something not very good. But, you know, it, it's it's at Jersey Mike's Arena. It's the way we've been playing lately. You know, Illinois is a good team. They probably possibly have the Big Ten Player of the Year in Kofi Coburn. Uh, I'm not going to disagree that. You know, he's a guy with NBA potential, probably going to get drafted. But... Dylan, this team at home, you know, it's hard to pick against them Dylan, with that is, atmosphere. Is there a place in New Jersey let and the Big Ten? Is there a place in New Jersey and the Big Ten that you'd rather not be than Jersey Mike's Arena? If you're an opponent? No, I'm saying I'm saying in general, is there a place that you'd rather or you'd rather else be than Jersey Mike's Arena on Wednesday night? I don't know, man. The Bryce, if, Jordan, Jer- Bryce Jordan Center is going to be popping on Thursday. <laughs> oh, them and their, their 6,000 people, I'm sure. It's a, I black, mean, it's a blackout, too. Did you guys get that email earlier? Yes. I, I did. Yes, I did. That is going to be – that is must-watch television. It's going to be television. a zoo. And someone Should we send that Twitter? to the announcers? Should they just go, you know, black shirt, black jacket? Should, should they be included in the blackout? Well, I, think so. I mean, if they have a WRSU polo and they who's, wear it, they will be included. Ooh, who's on, know, who's calling the game on Wednesday? The, that would be uh, Gideon Fox and Dylan Allen. It's a good black. crew for that game. All black for mm-hmm. that game. Yeah. Yeah, and all I black. Mean, after Illinois, you know, hopefully we win that. Yeah, I'm going to put I, that on the poll. Should our announcers have to adhere to the blackout? I think 
I think I'll yes. put it. I'll put it out on uh, Twitter. Okay. I realistically Thanks, think this team could crowd. go four and two, if not like five. I know. I know the state like. To get into the tournament, everyone's saying three wins. But there's a good possibility, especially if we beat Illinois. I mean, the one game that looks like like it's going to be really difficult is Purdue. That's at, the thing. It's West like Lafayette, if they the play Mackey the Center. way that they have been playing in these last couple of games where they can beat a team like Wisconsin on the road, where they can beat teams like Michigan State and Ohio State at home, really the only game that looks not extremely feasible is Purdue and even like it was just a couple days ago that Purdue barely beat Maryland at home it might have been yesterday that's right and um, I think they just lost to Michigan by like 20 or something yeah they and got so blown out. It, it's like it, all these games are technically winnable um I think the biggest thing for this team and that's been I guess a large part of the issue the entire season is just consistency and they have been consistent this last couple of weeks uh the issue is just down the stretch, making sure you don't fall apart, making sure you don't get any of those bad losses. Particularly, got to make sure you take care of business against uh, Penn State, make sure that doesn't mess you up, and just keep playing the way they have been playing. Because other than that, like this team, the way they are playing right now, can very easily win four games remaining on the schedule, secure like a what five seed in the Big Ten, maybe even a four seed. Going into the Big Ten tournament, I, I don't know the math. We are it, Chris, fifth but... right now. Here, let me. I can get the full uh, standings out. I only know one, one thing: we are two games back from being first in the Big Ten in mid. No, no, stop it, Cratch. Stop that's, it, Cratch. Don't that's, even. Uh, no, no, that's we a are fact. Not going there. <laughs> that is a fact. It is a fact. But I, I mean, you're insinuating things that if they don't happen, I will be very disappointed. I, I, I'm not insinuating anything. No. I'm just saying oh, they are, are two no, games behind first place. Dang it, we're six. That's all I have to say. Are we yeah, six? yeah, because uh, Ohio State is eight and four. They have two fewer oh, games played on us, but it's a higher win percentage. So we are sixth. But put we in are. Your Sorry, uh, Chris. No, no, go ahead. Put in, put in your votes. Should our announcers for Rutgers Benz basketball versus Illinois, <laughs> Gideon Fox and Dylan Allen dress in all black for the blackout? Yes. A absolutely. B yes. C no. I think one yes uh, uh, thing would suffice. Yeah. That, that's a Schmied thing. Schmied used to do that all the time. At that, WRSC that, that's, Sports. That's, that's skewing the poll a lot. I mean, yes. that's basically saying, we want to do it, so let us do it. Yeah, yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah, no, that is, that. that's poll. So, so Chris, what what, what is Nebraska it for the, uh, game? I'm sorry. <laughs> what is it for the double <laughs> buy? Is it top four for the in the tournament? For the double, double buy? Top four, yep. That yeah. would, I mean, that would be massive for Rutgers. It'd be massive. I mean, not only, you know, if you get to the point where you're top four in the Big Ten, like, there's no, like, plausible scenario in which you're not in the NCAA yeah. tournament. But also, if you're top four in the Big Ten, that also, with the double buy, it's a much less of a chance that you face, like, a 12 or an 11 seed that gets hot. And then, you know, you you risk run the risk of having a bad loss. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? I mean like, if, you're, if you're in the five seed, let's say Rutgers finishes in the five seed, just hypothetically. You play the winner of the 12-13. Okay. If, you know, say, for whatever reason, you know, they have a bad shooting night. Um, uh, What's his face on Penn State, for instance, gets, like, red hot. I don't even know who, but just hypothetically speaking. Like, weird things can happen in the Big Ten tournament. Like, that could be the kind of thing that either keeps you out of the tournament or, you know, more likely, like, knocks you down a seed line. And, like, I don't think... You, know, you don't want to be in that situation. So double buy would be huge for that reason, I think, more so than just the whole clout. I, I, I think of a it. double buy insinuates too that we have thirteen or or more wins in the Big Ten, which I think for most people, I'll say myself included, would be pretty much an auto bid into the tournament. Yep. So that like even that, if we're if we manage to be a top four seed, you know, we could realistically get upset in the Big Ten tournament and still like it wouldn't really be in it. The resume would still be there. To put us in the tournament, another quad one win, another ranked win over a top fifteen team in the country. You know, we we might be ranked next week. I don't see, and I don't, we'll get votes. We got we votes this got week. Votes, yeah. We would get votes next week. And they weren't from a uh, unidentified student media poll vote. They weren't, and it wasn't for Rutgers football <laughs> after playing Temple and Delaware. Um, but you know, like this team, they were so far, and in the span of three games, they're it feels like they're so close. You know. Obviously, it's Rutgers basketball. Anything can happen. You know, nothing is final until Selection Sunday. So we still have probably about a month to go Koi. to see. But 
we were talking la- we were talking uh last week you're like how do you think the end of the season is going to go what did i say i said you said it's going to come down to the very last game and we're like going to blow it does. at the end that was my that was my opinion yeah. but i did say we're going to win we're going to win these na- these last three games i said that you did i will give you that you are probably one of the most optimistic Rutgers fans not on twitter like in actual speaking to someone you're one of the most optimistic Rutgers fans i did, but it, i did say that uh they were going to what do you call it? I said they're going to win these last three games, but and then lose some Wednesday. I think I forgot. I forgot. But basically, well, they're we gonna don't have be, to say that. They're going to take but. it. They're going to take it all the way down to like the very end and like make yeah. it sweat it out and collect or something. That was my point. That was. My I point. mean, if you look at the end of the schedule, like even beating Indiana in Bloomington, Indiana has been a very good team this season. Like they haven't cracked the top twenty-five for most of the year, but Trace Jackson Davis has been probably a top five, ten player in the Big Ten, and I mean. In Assembly Hall, they've been almost unbeatable uh, up until, I think, the past few weeks. So, you know, that would be a good win. Michigan at Ann Arbor would be a good win. We've never won at the Chrysler Center uh, as a men's program. And, I mean, obviously beating Penn State uh, at Jersey Mike's would, you know, I think that would that would be more of a feel-good win than a good resume win. But there's so much opportunity. I mean, it's better that we're avoiding that loss as oh, the last absolutely. game of the season. Also, Absolutely. I mean, we can basically write down Michigan as a win because I'm going to be on that call and it's a regular oh. season game. That is right. We were down eight with we were down eight with three and a half minutes left against Ohio State, and Dennis said, "You know what they call me, Mister Regular Season, because I never called a regular season game where they've lost." By the way, and Dennis, you were right. Yeah, Dylan, I, not I to mention you, yesterday I told you the this. women's basketball win. Yes, oh, sir. Right. Their first yeah. Big Ten win of the season. Their first win of 2022. Dennis Geisler. <laughs> I'm Dylan, not saying he's responsible, but I'm not saying he's not responsible. Dylan, I've told you this before, but that was an insane call at the end of the game. After uh, Ohio State, or we came all the way back to beat Ohio State. That was that, that was awesome. That I was, was on awesome. the edge of my seat listening from uh, Pro Skate Arena before Rutgers hockey played. My heart was jumping out Should of my chest it? watching I, that I can game. imagine. Should we put it on or no? If if you can pull it up, oh, if it guys. if it were if it, if it were saved in the proper folder, Don't worry, it was it was only last week. So in I the think folder, I can find it. well, I mean it's on Twitter. Although the Caleb block wasn't, which I was sad about, but that's okay. Uh, what was it? February 9th? Yeah, should be in sports audio. It. That was crazy. Uh, Big LeBron James Rutgers from that block. Ohio State. All right, here we go. Um. This is Dylan McCoy on the call. Rutgers into the corner, a three. It's blocked by Baker. Rebounded by Mulcahy, and Rutgers upsets the number 16 team in the country. Another ranked win at Jersey Mike's Arena. You can just like feel the excitement in his voice. That's what I like so much about it. <laughs> and if you couldn't feel it in his voice, which you could, uh, the eight thousand screaming fans behind him would probably uh, yeah. I think Dude, the people. I think the people so in the studio. In I think the people in the studio told me that I had to turn myself down like four times in the second half. Oh yeah, so. that, <laughs> we were screaming a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the loudest I've heard Jersey Mike's this year. That wasn't like that's a that, cruise for those three minutes in a microcosm is this team over the past month. Like, they are never-say-die, never-give-up team. That one play against Wisconsin, too, where you had three guys die for the basketball, and then Paul gets that layup, that breakaway layup, at, to pretty much seal the game. That is what Rutgers basketball has been over the past month. They're a team that doesn't give up. They shoot the ball well, which is something new to us. They shoot the ball well. They shoot the ball from the free-throw line very well. They play great defense, which, I mean, should be expected. And they're just a team that, like, has really started to, like, you know, uh, uh, Steve Peichel said it in the season, like in the beginning of the season. The cohesion of this team will be the best that he's seen, and you know we didn't see it in November, but we're seeing it now. You know, it took a minute, but this team is coming together at the perfect time. And if they keep playing like this, they're going to be a hard out in the Big Ten tournament, and they're going to be a hard out in March. If they stay hot like this, you're going to need a complete effort to beat this team. You're going to need a lot of talent. You're going to need a lot of grit, and you're going to need good coaching. I mean, and putting those things together is difficult. I no mean, one, no one wants to play Rutgers right now. Do you think Illinois nobody. wants to go to Jersey Mike's no. Arena right now and play a red hot Rutgers team? That's Kofi shaking in his boots right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You like? Do you? I mean, do you really think that I, they want to go? I've like, been in the student section when we played Illinois before. He gets a tough time. You know, he he responds to it, but he gets a tough time, and it hurt. And it as I, it's uh, got to feel some way. As I broadcasted the Rutgers Illinois game last year when there were no fans and we were uh, on the student radio call, I was in the student section last year when we uh, played. Illinois because we were at the student section for a year 
because there were no fans. Why you were in the student section when there were no fans? I actually don't. Well, that's no, no, pretty like cool. Our broadcast was basically the student section because we were the only students allowed in. Oh, I thought that you, like you broadcast okay. from the student. That's, that's what I was going to say. It's like, that's I mean, just the wrong angle. I was like, angle. that might be a difficult angle. <laughs> the logistics, that's kind of where the, we were for the Maryland game, actually. There Jake were a couple and I. games where we we had to do that last year. We had to go like where you know where the handicap section is at the rack now. Yeah, yeah. That's where we like had to do a couple because when the the visiting radio would travel, they had to bump us out of our spot for mm. distancing purposes. Well, there's nothing like calling a game from Studio A when Rutgers play Maryland <laughs> during the middle of the uh, pandemic. No, don't, don't make me get the crowd noise back up. <laughs> that, was my, that, was the, that was my beginning, was calling games in the studio. So, you know, got a lot easier when I actually got to go. So, yes, yes. Made me yes. better. I mean, exactly. Made me better. Thank, thank I'd, you. I had to call an entire lacrosse NCAA tournament from my parents' from Florida. bedroom. From <laughs> my parents' bedroom. <laughs> That doesn't get any like it's it was very uncomfortable having to call a game with my parents like in the next room, and that's why we pay you the big bucks, Chris. <laughs> yes, yes, I get paid the big bucks. It's not that hard. I've done that with League of Legends a lot. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like it. It feels weird. It just it feels so weird. But I'm like, if I'm gonna do it remotely, what difference does it make? The hard part was not having a caller guy, especially when the first game started 18 minutes late and I ran out of pregame content. Mm-hmm. So at that like, point, you just start talking about your lunch. And uh, we're still waiting here for Rutgers and Lehigh to start uh, in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, oh, I could have just gone down to that. Yeah, but we yeah, weren't allowed to. That's a hop, skip, and, that's yeah, a hop, skip, and a jump away from you. I know. I don't have to tell anyone that. <laughs> sneak, sneak into the stadium. Better ask for forgiveness and permission. It's a golden rule. Absolutely. And welcome back to the Monday edition of the crew here on WRSU FM, New Brunswick. Dennis Geiser, Chris Deconis, Jack Pesaya, and Dylan McCoy joining you here. And guys, you know, obviously we're a Rutgers show. We started the day with Rutgers basketball, but the biggest story in sports is Matt Stafford goes from Detroit to a Super Bowl ring in one season, and the Rams beat the Bengals last night in what I would consider a pretty good game. A little controversy at the end of the game with the, the referees, but, you know, a little controversy on the biggest touchdown in the game with the referees, but overall, good back and forth game. Sean McVay gets his first Super Bowl championship at I think thirty five. Is the youngest coach ever to win a Super Bowl, and you know, uh, I think a lot of people. I think the Bengals were America's team in this situation, but conventional logic played out. The Rams' defense uh, did what they were supposed to do. They made Joe Burrow's life awful. They disrupted him. I think he was sacked the most times in Super Bowl history, if not tied for the most with Roger Staubach. So yeah, I can't remember if they notched one more at the end. It they had seven, seven to tie, which was incredible. Uh, Cooper Cup named the MVP. We can probably talk should about have been that. Aaron Donald. I I also I, Cooper think it Cup had a really good game, and in many situations, a player with a game like that should have won MVP. But the reason why the Rams won, well, there were a couple of reasons why the Rams won, including that defensive holding, but the reason why the Rams <laughs> won was because of their pass rush, which was led by Aaron Donald, and just on that basis, I think that it was uh, Aaron Donald who should have been the MVP. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, um, and I mean, but I mean, through a quarter and a half, I thought the MVP was going to be Odell Beckham Jr., and I think it would have yeah. been if he didn't get injured. He, you know, seeing him do that, Obviously, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I was rooting for the Bengals. I'm a big Joe Burrow mm-hmm. guy. I really wanted to see them win. But seeing Odell star like that, you know, it was nice, honestly. Well, that's the thing. It's like I, I was happy for Odell Beckham Jr. I was happy for Aaron Donald. I was not happy for Eli Apple. I was happy that he was getting burned <laughs> by Odell Beckham Jr., but I digress. Uh, I I would have definitely been happier if the Bengals won, but I'm – I don't know. I There are some – it's, it's some okay parts of the Rams, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was I'll a good game, <laughs> I would say. like Entertaining, for sure. Yeah, It was I mean, entertaining at a lot of times. I think, like, my biggest issue with it is, like, the so kind of the, the thing that played out in the game was that both teams kind of had their biggest weakness exploited. The Bengals in that their offensive line is terrible, especially against the pass rush, and Joe Burrow gets sacked all the time. And the Rams that they don't really have any depth because they've traded away all of their draft picks. And so anytime even one or two players get injured uh, in terms of their like pool of star players or one player gets shut down for a brief period of time or there's a crack at any point, uh, they kind of just fall apart. Um, And that kind of happened to both teams. And it's kind of where I'm 
I guess my biggest issue with the Super Bowl is it feels like a ton of very small instances felt like big asterisks over the entire game. Uh, obviously, the defensive holding, like, if that defensive holding is not called and that it, that was not a defensive holding, it just wasn't. Um, it wasn't. It's a completely different game. Like, that. then it's fourth down and eight. The Rams have to try to get into the end zone from eight yards out, which is really difficult, actually. Um Especially when Matthew Stafford can't really run very well. You don't really have that scramble option. Uh, you aren't running very well, so you can't even go with any sort of weird uh, play in that sense. The Bengals are doing a great job kind of just distributing their uh, cornerbacks, those de- that heavy, heavy defensive back setup. Um, so it, realistically, it might have just been the Bengals winning the game if that defensive holding had not been called. Um, you then go back to, at the start of the third quarter, that uh, big 75-yard touchdown pass, the longest pass let up in uh, Jalen Ramsey's career, I believe, yeah. um, which I that did look like a face mask to me. Um, I think it's a smaller thing just because a bad no-call in the early third quarter is better than a bad call at the end of the fourth quarter on the game-winning drive. Uh, But even still, it was a notable missed call that really helped the Bengals in terms of momentum early on in that third quarter. And then, obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. getting injured really changed the dynamics of the entire game since up until that final drive, the Rams didn't really want to force it to Cooper Cup, who was getting doubled a lot of the time. And the final drive, they were just like, well, actually, he is the best player on the field. Let's just repeatedly throw to Cooper Cup and see what they can do about it. And it actually worked. <laughs> I got two things to say about last night. And they don't really have involved with the – or they aren't really involved with the game. I thought I thought it was a really fun game to watch. Um, I, I was constantly reminded of Dallas Cowboys on the field, like, the entire time. Like, I mean, they went, they went like, two – they went, like, what, two minutes before mentioning Ch- Cheeto Ouzie is the former Cowboy, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's all right, Jack. I got to see B.J. Hill, Eli Apple, and Odell Beckham Jr. Well, in a Super Bowl that wasn't in 2016, so. I'm getting <laughs> – you know, That to, didn't feel good. I'm getting the Eli burnt toast apple in a second. That's part of what I noticed. Uh, that, two, two good things I noticed in this game. Number one, what was The Rock doing at the beginning of the game? Oh, that, that was, was so really bad. He was electrifying. So bad. Seen. The most was, electrifying man at sports entertainment. Corn- I'm that sorry, that was like everything seen. that I did not like about the OG XFL. Like that was just. It, sh- it should have been the ball off. Dude. If like, they were gonna do that, literally. if they were gonna do that, they should have done what Vegas did at the beginning of the season and had Bruce Buffer. That's the thing. It's I like the like Rock either, is not. I really like that. I, I, I just play football. Yeah, I, I don't like it in general, but also the Rock. That's just not what he does. He doesn't announce things. He's not like a big hype man. Like it's not like he can't do it at all, but like that's not his thing that he does. <laughs> and also, it was just kind of lame. And- like. Save it all for the pregame. I didn't watch any of the pregame. I just showed up at six thirty, and I was like, "All right, here's the kickoff." <laughs> I was, um, I, I was like half expecting, uh, I was half expecting Aaron Donald to like tackle Vince McMahon uh, in the <laughs> middle of that. Like that, that's kind of where I thought he was going. I, I pregame for the Super Bowl by watching, and this is not a joke. The entirety of Super Bowl Forty Two. That was my oh. pregame. Oh man, I that, mean, was, that, that was that just... was what I did. I it was I was excited for football, so I wanted to watch some football, and I watched. Greatest upset in the history of football. So, and the second thing that I saw, what I mean, like there was just like Twitter wars going on like all night between like yes the Bengals offensive lineman quit in Spain and like Jeffrey Simmons is just like arguing with him on a on Twitter so much like, the entire time. It was hilarious because like I, I found it hilarious. And then Eli Apple just like just got eviscerated on Twitter last night. Yeah, I, as the soon as I saw the pass interference and I pointed and I was like, oh, that's Eli Apple. Because most of the game, it's like, it's a cornerback you're not always going to notice. Like, a couple times he didn't do super well on coverage, but most people are not going to notice. And then it's like, okay, the pass interference that put them, I guess, a yard closer to the goal and made the final touchdown much more <laughs> inevitable. Dennis, the entire NFL was going at yeah, this Yeah, that it was pretty funny <laughs> like as as soon as i saw it as soon as i saw that number 20 there i was like oh no <laughs> the twitter is gonna be fun tonight <laughs> i mean the discourse was just on another level mm-hmm. 
I don't know, man. I don't know. It was just it was a wild. <laughs> One game. thing I noticed. Uh, uh, but I know where this is going. No, I'm not going to talk about the the Chevy Sopranos commercial. It was amazing. That's all I'll say. We well, already talked awesome. about it, so. But we'll save so some of that many, stuff for later. So many crypto commercials. So oh, I hated many. It. All right, can I just the, the one the Coinbase the one that was, one was just good. the Q. Oh, the LeBron one was. I was so mad when I found out it was a crypto commercial. <laughs> I saw it someone, was a great commercial, and then it was a crypto. Commercial. Someone posted on Twitter like a picture of like that commercial and said like in quotations like don't call if Russ call if Russell Westbrook calls you don't pick up the phone I was, <laughs> I was crying no um it, it's just I'm I'm just so over the whole crypto thing it's like I don't want I all, mean, all I'm going to say about the crypto things is there is a Wikipedia page for dot com commercials not in general or in the Super Bowl but spe- specifically dot com commercials in Super Bowl 34 and that's all I'm going to say about the crypto commercials this year. <laughs> I mean, oh, I kind of want to read that now. Yeah, but like, it's not that interesting of a page, but... I don't wear <laughs> too many great ones. I don't know if that's me getting older and focusing on it like, less, but... All, all the commercials, like, I, in general, I'm just not that interested in commercials in general, because, you know... But the crypto ones are so, like, I, I, they come off as pretentious to me because, like, one, it's not just another product. It's the most revolutionary way to invest your money when it's really just, like, you want to blow cash like you're in, in Vegas, but you want to look sophisticated while you're doing it. Crypto is, like, the worst thing you could invest in because it can either gain or lose half of its value in a matter of minutes. Over, while you're in the middle of the transaction. Yes, over, <laughs> over like, the dumbest possible reasons, like a bunch of... Guys on the internet just decide, oh, AMC, let's buy stock now. Diamond hands, going to the moon. <laughs> and then next thing you know, I, <laughs> a failed movie theater company is like the hottest stock on the street. Like, what are we doing here? This isn't really a crypto thing anymore. I've kind of just evolved into an anti-internet uh, <laughs> finance thing, but it's just, it's so stupid. Hearing the words to the moon at the Super Bowl really, like, it really shook me, honestly. Fortune I was not favors <laughs> the brave. I, I, that's one of the worst commercials. Like, just I in was general, waiting for Matt Damon to come. I was expecting the Matt Damon commercial to play at least. Did you guys have, like, a like a favorite commercial? Like, you guys know what mine was. I think the only, the only one that really stood out to me, I, you don't, under any circumstances, gotta hand it to Coinbase, but I actually think the, the QR, QR code? code commercial was not that bad. I thought it was... Probably the best one just because it's very I'm, simple. It's very different from what everyone else was doing, and I always kind of appreciate that. Um, apart from that, I think the best one was the the Lay's commercial with Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen. That was pretty good. Just because there was a punchline at the end. The joke was not just these famous people are in the commercial. There was actually <laughs> a separate punchline at the end of the commercial, which worked fairly well. I, I actually laughed at the punchline at the end, which... I cannot say about any other commercial, even the ones that were supposed to be funny. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree. I'm not. I, I'm not exaggerating. Every person in my living room scanned the QR code, so their commercial worked. I yeah, in I my personal, I was like, oh, no, I was you're gonna tell me at that what point. it is might, at the end. <laughs> this might have been the once, the first Super Bowl or like the Super Bowl where I paid attention least to the mm-hmm. commercials. I literally did not watch the commercials at all. I was only watching the game. There were no, like, mm-hmm. you know how, like, certain, like, like the Kia hamsters. Everyone remembers the Kia hamsters. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things that has stuck with me. I don't think there are any commercials that in, like, five years I'm going to go back and be like, hey, remember this one? Like, and this some one of it, really I think, good. it is just that so many of these commercials now are just look at celebrity. Celebrity is in commercial for yeah, brand. I, I completely agree, even, Dennis. Even the one that I was, like, lauding that was very good, it was literally just, hey, here's Jamie Lynn Siegler and yeah. the guy who played AJ on Sopranos. And because I watched the show, I thought it was mm-hmm. cool. But I understand why a lot of people were like, "Well, what is this?" Yeah. But and then all of the awesome. uh, all of the electric car commercials that were all exactly the same. Uh, yes, that the one was, with the dog. Like, and then that's the thing. It's like, well, that that one was really strange. That that weirdly yeah. CGI dog. I did not like that dog. <laughs> but just on the whole, it's like all of the electric car. It's like every car company at the exact same time. And it's not that all of them at the ex- exact same time have been developing electric cars because they've been doing that for like five, ten years now. But at the exact same time, they're all trying to say, we're on the electric car market. And so it looks really strange when all of them are promoting it at the exact same time in the exact same event. It was sad because the commercial I was the most like I got the most response out of was literally a movie trailer. 
And yeah. it was before the game started. It was after the coin toss. And it was for Multiverse of Madness. Oh, okay. Yeah, the right. one, and that's the thing. The one I probably most enjoyed was the the trailer they played for the Moon Knight. Not that only was, because I'm a little bit interested in the show, but mostly because they played Day and Night, and I like that song. That was the. I first, spent like the next three minutes listening to Day and Night. That was the first one, like right after the kickoff, right? That's like it the was most pretty early on. One. Yeah, I was surprised to see like a trailer. It was strange, especially because I mean I understand if like NBC is going to plug their stuff or NBC Universal. There were a few Comcast, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, all, all the commercials the trying Tiger to tell people King to show. stay for the Olympics. Why do we need? I was going to say Kate McKinnon playing Carol Baskin. Like, there's no way I'm going to take that seriously. <sighs> it is I'm not going to watch the show. I don't want to. It is the simultaneously the best and worst uh, person they could have picked. Like, the whole show is going to feel like an SNL sketch. Yeah, a yeah. good SNL. Sketch, she's not serious, enough. but an SNL. No, I know. But like, and I'm not even saying that she's not good. I'm saying like, she, I, I don't know. It's a weird fit for it's, what they're trying to achieve. It's probably the correct casting, but also it definitely kind of shows what the show is going to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, it was a great game, and I hate not talking about the game, but the Super Bowl is so much more than the game. Of course it is. While we're at it, we got to spend holiday. like two minutes talking about this halftime show. I was, halftime show. Halftime I was show. waiting for this. Did, the halftime show that would have went crazy in 2004, Sam, Kendrick Lamar, <laughs> and Anderson Pack. I mean, but, that's like mm-hmm. most of them. Isn't yeah, it? lately it has been. Well, the weekend is that, would be is like that the a demographic exception. thing? Like, I think they, I think there is someone because the NFL never does something just because they feel like it. There's always yeah. like a calculated reasoning behind it. That's the thing. It's actually gotten younger recently. Like it used to be well, where it's like the, the Rolling Stones well, and the I, Who. Are... I rewatched Super Bowl 42, and it was mm-hmm. Tom Petty and the yeah, Heartbreakers at halftime. Well, and... <laughs> well, I mean, but they, but they did that after the whole thing with. Um, you know, two pop stars and a wardrobe malfunction happened. Mm-hmm. They immediately switched to like the generic seventies classic rock. Fair. Thing. Fair. And they stuck with it for a decade. And hey, we got we got Prince, we got Bruce Springsteen out of that. I'll I'll take mm-hmm. that. So anytime. So how did everyone how did everyone feel? Because I saw like Jack mentioned Twitter before. I saw a lot of people say that it was a great I'm and I was under the impression that it was I thought it was okay. I enjoyed like what everyone did, but it was it felt very short. And maybe that's because it was a lot of people. But it felt very short, and I don't know. It was okay. Seeing Snoop Dogg at Shy Stadium felt more of a, like <laughs> an enlightening experience than seeing him do one or two songs with Dr. Dre <laughs> at a SoFi. I'm, but I'm a big I'm a big hip hop fan. Can't say I'm a big hip hop or big fan of those people because they're a bit before my time. Like before Eminem, we like born. Snoop Dogg, like <laughs> Snoop Dogg. Like, well, Snoop I mean, Dogg I made the Dr. argument. Dre I made sure. the argument. Snoop Dogg came to came to Rutgers. I'm like. I was like born when Snoop Dogg was like at his like peak or whatever. So I mm-hmm. like I can't really relate to him. But regardless though, I thought it was great to see something different. Usually you get like these pop artists like that come in like Coldplay or like, you know, just name them. Like name all the halftime shows of the past couple of years. Like you usually get one of those J Lo and Shakira was, yeah. like that was a really good. good one. That, that was, was awesome. that was pretty good. But usually you get these pop stars that come in and like, you know, it's okay. Like, you know, I it's it's not bad, but it was really cool to see something different in hi- in this hip hop um, influenced halftime show. And I really thought, like you know, it really, you know, how should I say this? Like really um, represented Los Angeles too, because if you look past like the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles, I mean that's like L.A. music. Like you know, Dr. Dre's from L.A., Snoop Dogg's from L.A. Like Eminem's not. Like, Eminem Kendrick, have Kendrick been Lamar. There. <laughs> Kendrick Eminem Lamar is from. Kendrick Lamar's from L.A. There's a lot of L.A. guys and a lot of hip-hop influence in L.A., so I thought it was really fitting. I thought it was really good. Um, Also, before I hand the floor over to someone else, um, someone said when Matt Stafford was playing really bad in the second half that he saw that he saw Eminem and turned back into Detroit Stafford. (laughs) That was pretty funny. I I enjoyed it. My favorite part of the show was the – 10 seconds I saw 50 Cent upside down like the music video. I really (laughs) That was great. It was big nostalgia pop for me. I loved it. It was also just a real, like – that that was like the one person other than Anderson Pack who, who just, just played kinda, the drums. Yeah, he just kind of sat there and played the drum. <laughs> that was the only one where I was like, "Oh, I did not know Fiddy was gonna be here." Yeah, you guys want to know how long how long he was hanging upside down from there? How long? I know, I already know. I'll just leave it. Two quarters. <laughs> oh my yes. god. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh ten out of ten. <laughs> ten out of ten. My dad texted me that last night. I'm not gonna lie. By the way, to get back to my point about the commercials, Bitcoin is down twelve point three seven percent over the the past year. Really? Uh Dogecoin is like ten percent. Oh, don't of what talk about those. Uh, oh, you Ether got burned? Down. I didn't get burned, but I just remember the SNL it's, it's where Elon Musk was like, "Yeah, this is a this is like a scam," and it went down like twelve percent. Like, how's, how, how's, how's Ether doing, Chris? How's what? <laughs> Ether, Ethereum. 
Ethereum. Ethereum. On, I don't keep, know. Keep up to date with this stuff, Chris. Yeah, man. <laughs> You're not a crypto uh, bro. <laughs> Ether is worth $2,900. Wow. Yeah. Uh, year to date, that is down 22%. All right. Yeah, that sounds about right for Ethereum. Like, but, depending um, on when you buy, you could either gain or lose a colossal amount of money. Which is why I yeah. maintain that it's a bad investment. Or you just lose money because you can't cash out of it. Yeah, Whatever. while we're on the side, also, like, <laughs> I'm looking at this article, like, half of the dot-com commercials, like, the companies uh, no longer exist. Out of business, out or yeah, that's within, I like, two years. I think that's going to happen with crypto. But uh, one more thing I want to say about the commercials uh, before we go to break and have Aaron Brightman on. Um, I'm going to say the one commercial I don't think is getting enough talk. The Larry David, like, through time, like, just going after every, like, key invention or like trend oh yeah I, I thought that was okay. like I thought it didn't get the respect it deserved I don't get no respect he was the good guy though at the he's end like, he's like, like Thomas Edison's literally he's... just showing him the light bulb he's like yeah I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah I, I always like Larry David I yes. saw a tweet and it was like the man who made the show about nothing did a commercial about nothing <laughs> which is but you know before we go to break uh, obviously going back to the game you know a lot of legacies being written you know I think Matt Stafford Really goes in a discussion of Hall of Famer. I know no, it's one game. Not happening. I feel so bad for he Odell. He needs at least one more. Like, <laughs> I feel bad for Odell too, he but he won, has a ring I'm, now. I'm happy. I'm happy he won, but like, man, I think he retore his ACL. Yeah, it did not look good. I mean, look, there were a lot of injuries. Like Stafford was hurt at one point. It looked like Burrow got really hurt at one yeah. point. It looked like he popped his knee out. Yeah, yeah he was screaming was really and then it came back in. I mean, and then he says after the game, "Oh, I'm fine." The person I feel <laughs> the most like. Like happy for is Aaron Donald because he's the yeah. one who deserves it by far the most, and he might just he's retire the, right now. <laughs> and, I'm, and I, he's the best defensive yeah. player that I've seen in my lifetime. And it's like, go ahead, take a bow, retire, he, goodbye. He's a, he's <laughs> a first ballot Hall of Famer, and him getting a ring makes it even more like. like oh yeah, totally. Set in stone. Yeah, he he's retiring. Stafford's gonna retire. <laughs> Not um, after this year. But he was Sean McVay. Listen to the, I don't know if you listen to the. I was listening to the Westwood post game while I was driving home from um, the Super Bowl party I was at. And the way he was talking, he's like, "All right, now I get to be a father. I get to spend time with my kids." And like, that does sound like he's retired. He didn't yeah. explicitly <laughs> say it, but like the way he was saying it, like he didn't sound like he was just talking about the off season. It sounded like he was done. And frankly, like, does he really need to come back? He yeah, won a Super fair Bowl enough. after suffering through a decade plus of Detroit Lion football. So like, what? fair enough. I By suppose. the way, the other side and silent reporter who wasn't Michelle DeFoya, Rutgers alum, Kaylin Tapp. Yeah, yeah. Catherine Tappen. Yeah. Catherine oh, Tappen. come on, Dylan. Catherine Tappen. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Rutgers. Clark. Clark. I, who, but uh, I fixed it. Who posted that? I think it was the... Uh, Targum alum, I might add. Who was the Who's the kid who works at Barstool that's like... you know TJ? TJ, yeah. TJ, TJ Hitchens. TJ posted uh, the the video of Clark Harris. Like, you know how the NBC does the uh, like the intros? Like, yeah. Clark Harris. Rutgers. Rutgers. That needs to be a hockey. That needs to be a hockey. Clark right, Harris. We can, we can arrange that. Rutgers. Top of the hour here on Monday Crew here on College Ave Campus in New Brunswick. I'm Jack Wasea, Dylan McCoy, Dennis Geisler, Chris Akonis, all here in studio. And the top of the hour here on the Monday Crew today means we have a special guest on the show. His name is Aaron Brightman. If you follow Rutgers basketball, if you follow Rutgers sports in general, you know who he is. Um, he does incredible job at on the banks, you know, covering all the Rutgers sports, everything and everything, everything and anything. And uh, yeah, he does a great job, and he was willing to come on and talk some Rutgers basketball in the midst of their incredible stretch so far to start this uh, to end this season. So, without further ado, Aaron Brightman, can you hear me? Hey, Jack, how are you? Thanks for having me back. No problem. Um, I'll start off the questions here, Aaron. We were talking about earlier in the show, you know, what was the re- or the reasoning as to why Rutgers just went on this has, has gone on this incredible run over the past couple of a uh, couple of weeks. And my reasoning was that the emergence of Paul Mulcahy has just been everything to this team. You know, him his ability to be a third option behind Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr., a extra playmaker, extra scorer. He has elite footwork in the paint. He's been incredible so far these past couple weeks. That was my opinion as to why Rutgers basketball has really taken the leap over the past couple weeks. I wanted to hear your opinion on that same question, Aaron. Yeah, I think that's, that's certainly uh, a huge uh, factor in all of this. I, I really think, you know, as a whole, you know, I think people expected – them to kind of hit the ground running from day one uh, this season. Um, obviously, we didn't expect the slip-ups they had 
Um, but even though, you know, we had a strong veteran core coming back, they really are had to learn, kind of relearn roles. And I think the bigger point is Mulcahy is kind of exhibit A in that. Um, but I think that as a whole, they're all kind of adjusting to new roles. Even Ron and Gio, uh, you know, letting the offense go through Paul versus, you know, feeling even that responsibility. of, of I've always said that I think Gio Baker is better off the ball. Um, and now that they have that trust also in Mulcahy, um, but him becoming, uh, I, I think a big key in his game is, is looking to score first. And I think they know he's such a great decision maker that even when he's looking to score first, he's going to find guys that are open when the defense adjusts to him. And I think it's made Rutgers that much more complicated and difficult to defend. Um, you can't just sit in on Ron Harper and uh, Gio anymore. Uh, like you said, Paul being a third uh, option. But I also think, Kayla McConnell kind of really laser focused now on being that big 10 defensive player of the year. Um, you know, he's, uh, it, I think a less concerned with his offensive game. Not that he hasn't, I mean, he made a huge shot against Wisconsin with about nine minutes left in the game, but he's really focused on making the biggest impact on the defensive end. I think Cliff Omori, uh, his development has been um, really uh, impressive throughout the year. I think, you know, his, First 10 games, his fouls versus blocks uh, was skewed towards fouls. Now you're seeing him learning how to block shots at a much higher – he's averaged two blocks a game, I think the last uh, 12 or 13 now. He's not fouling. He's playing 30-plus minutes a night. Um, he's, he's learned how to kind of fit in offensively. Uh, so I think roles in general, everyone has kind of learned where they fit, and this team has figured out how the how, – you know, really their identity – um, and it was maybe different than people thought coming into the year. Uh, and I think they're obviously hitting their stride now. And I think they're, they're always a team that has played better, for, for better or worse, with their backs against the wall. And I think once they knew basically everyone had written them off, it was like, you know, it, something clicked. And, and this team's internal toughness and fight uh, has, has really shown up. Aaron, I think one of the most remarkable things about this team has been their free throw shooting. You know, they have a chance to do something no Pikel team has ever done, uh, shoot above 70% from the line in a season. I think the highest they got to was 69 a few years ago. But, you know, especially in a game against Wisconsin where, you know, Rutgers got in foul trouble quickly, how important is it for them to, you know, continue getting to the line and converting their uh, chances from the charity stripe? Yeah, it's a great point. I actually looked this up the other day. The last time they shot over 70% in a season was 2013-2014, which was Eddie Jordan's first year. So uh, there they were even, I mean, last year they shot 63% from the line. So if you just think about that, you know, seven, eight-point differential is, is really uh, massive. And um, But I always thought the potential was there. You know, Ron Harper uh, Jr. has, if you look at his four years, he's jumped three or four points year after year. Geo has been consistently 75%. You know, Kayla McConnell actually was 78, 9 or 78 or 79% lifetime shooter coming in to this season. He's actually struggled a bit. Um, but Paul Mulcahy has really improved from the foul line. And, and I think it was just a matter of also those guys have to get to the line. And that really hasn't happened before. Uh, really now the last 10 games, they're, they're shooting close to 80% as a team. And if you look at it, I mean, Ron Harper Jr. is getting there at a, a very high rate. His free throw rate is one of the best in the country, and he's, he's making 80% of his free throws. He was actually making 90% in Big Ten play up until last game. So uh, the right guys needed to get to the line. And, you know, give credit to Cliff as well, because he's been an upgrade from Miles Johnson last year, who shot in the low 40s, which Cliff did as well. And now he's gotten over 60%. So the starters have really picked it up. And, you know, to be honest, I think they need to still get to the line more than they are. Um, but I agree. It's, it's a huge plus for this team um, that they're showing the maturity at the foul line. And it's really been a, a major difference in this win streak. Aaron, I want to shift the focus for a second to Illinois. Uh, this is a team that uh, you know gave Rutgers, like in terms of margin, uh, their worst defeat of the season back in early December. And obviously, Rutgers could not be more of a different team now than they were in December. But I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on you know, how Rutgers matches up with them now at this point in the season and specifically the matchup uh, in the paint between Kofi Coburn and Cliff Amori. I guess I'm curious to see what you think of you know how that could pan out on Wednesday. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good point, Chris. I think, you know, I don't think it's a great matchup for this team. I, I think Ohio State and Illinois, to me, 
are, you know, matchup-wise for Rutgers, the, the, the worst matchups that they've had. Obviously, they overcame it uh, last week against Ohio State. Um, and then Illinois, I mean, they've beaten them before. I think they have the confidence of knowing they've beaten them in the rack the last two years. But the last two times they played, last year in the Big Ten tournament, and then obviously, as you said, in December, you know, they, they really got blown out in both of those games. And I think the key is uh, hoping for the adjustment that they don't try to double Kofi. I think that they did that a lot in the first meeting, and it really, you know, didn't work in terms of other guys beating you. Illinois is just too talented. Um, and I think they have to pick their poison, but I also think that Cliff is a lot better equipped to handle Kofi this time around. And I think that's key. But I also think, you know, you, you've credit to Peichel. You've seen him kind of adjust in these last two weeks as well defensively. Um, he's, you know, traditionally a man-to-man coach. He'll, he'll always stick to that. But um, he's really done a good job, I think, in the last couple of weeks of switching things up, mixing in some zone, mixing in some full-court pressure. And I think you'll see that early on with Illinois, trying to give them different looks, trying to kind of confuse Corbello and, and, um, and really try to uh, give, give Illinois something to think about uh, a lot different than last time where they really did just try to double Kofi and, you know, they got exposed pretty quickly, fell behind, and just could never recover. Aaron, I want to talk a bit about Caleb McConnell because he deserves being talked about. He's literally been the lifeblood of the defense for Rutgers. I mean, Johnny Davis was, for Johnny Davis standards, non-existent um, on Saturday. 11 points, only 10 shots, like – Really not the best game for Johnny Davis, and a lot of that was due to Caleb McConnell. Um, I, I just want to hear your thoughts on you know how important he is to this team, and also what you think his chances are for locking up that Defensive Player of the Year. Well, I think that that's a it's it, it's kind of a two part situation where I think Caleb McConnell does he deserve Defensive Player of the Year? I I think he does. I think he's proving that. Uh, obviously, with the block against Ohio State, and then like you said against Davis. Um, you know, the thing about Davis is he's a high-volume shooter. So the fact that he only got 10 shots was, was also really low for him. But also, if you look back at it, he really didn't get an open look or easy look the whole game. There was even, I thought, you know, aside from the six steals, there was a play late where he forced Johnny Davis just to throw it out of bounds just by being there and exerting pressure. So, you know, it, it's more than just steals. It's more than just, you know, he even has a high block rate. But it's just the disruptiveness that he causes with everybody. Um, and, and he, it's not just that he can shut down the best player on the other team. While he's doing that, he's still able to uh, jump into passing lanes, disrupt other, other uh, players, uh, and he's really everywhere. And uh, his emergence in these last uh, few weeks has really been impressive. Um, it was his goal coming into the season. I think he always had it in him. Um, you know, do I think he's got, deserves to win the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year? Absolutely. Do I think he will? To be honest, I don't know if he's going to beat Chase Jackson Davis, who you know is um, considered uh, also one of the best defensive players. Um, you know, is it politics? I, I don't know. But I'll tell you this: if if Caleb McConnell continues to play at the level he is and continues to shut down the the, the best player on the top teams in the Big Ten, he might make it pretty difficult for them not to pick him. But um, I am concerned, you know, like two years ago, Franz Wagner from Michigan, I thought was one of the best defensive players. He didn't even make the defensive team. So, um, you know, is it political? Of course, sometimes it is. Uh, but, you know, he's doing a, a very good job of making it very difficult not to be uh, a front runner for that spot. And Aaron, just one last question. You know, I think the fans and analysts all have us in different spots when it comes to, you know, where we are in the tournament, if we're on the bubble or we're in the first four out. You know, you look at Ken Palm, you look at Net. They have us out, but you talk to fans, you talk to experts, they have us on the bubble. We just wanted to ask you, what do you think is a tournament-level resume for this team looking at their last few games of the season and where they are now? Well, I think that's a great question. and I, You know, uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simple answer, but they, they just have to keep winning. I mean, right now, their schedule is, is you know, it's opportunity. They have five Q1 uh, quad one opponents left. Uh, all in a row, um, you know, going to Purdue is obviously going to be a, a very tall task. But listen, Maryland just lost to Purdue by by one point or one possession. So, you know, I, I feel like this team is in a mindset right now. It's attitude. It's confidence. They they feel they can be anyone at any time, anywhere now, now that they want out Wisconsin. And you know what the reality is? They've proven that. So I think um, the they're going to need to win the next three of the next six. I think you have to have 12, 
12 and 8 in the Big Ten. I think if you finish 12 and 8, you're probably in the top five, maybe top six in the conference. And I just, you know, with all the, the net rankings and the metrics and all the analytics, I get it. If you're in the top five or six of the Big Ten, I just personally can't think that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee is going to leave them out. Obviously, winning the game in the Big Ten Tournament as well would just solidify that fact. So I think if they go 12-8 and eight and win one game in the Big Ten Tournament, I would be shocked if they didn't make the NCAA Tournament. Anything less than that, you know, I still think they deserve to get in at 11-9. and nine. Um, If you go 11-9 and nine and lose the first game of the Big Ten Tournament, I think you're certainly at risk to be left out. Um, but, it, you know, it, it also depends on the rest of the bubble. The ACC is really bad this year. Um, but, you know, Rutgers fans should root against all the other bubble teams out there um, and, and hope that it's a soft bubble because I think Rutgers has really raised some eyebrows and, you know, they have some notable wins. No team has ever not made the NCAA tournament with seven quad one wins. Rutgers has five. Michigan is borderline, um, you know, they're at 36 now. They were at 30 the other day. So it's counted. Now it doesn't count. But you go to at Michigan and win that game. They're going to need to win a road game, I think, before uh, the regular season's over. Uh, I think they have a, a shot for sure at Michigan and Indiana. Purdue is a tall task. And if you win out at home, listen, I mean, if they, if they this team has a chance to win 13 games in the Big Ten. Who knows? Um, but I think for this team to just stay in that mindset, if they can do that, I think they'll do enough to get into the NCAA tournament. And 13 wins in the Big Ten. I mean, that's just not, that's just not something Rutgers has done like at all, which you know is crazy to think. And uh, you know, I, I think I think it's insane to think that you know we're talking about Rutgers winning 13 games in the Big Ten. Real, maybe not realistically, but it could happen. And even 12, we haven't gotten to 12 wins. So you know, great progress from the program. I'm sure you agree, Aaron. But uh, I pre- I really appreciate you coming on, Aaron. It's been a lot of fun talking to you about. Rutgers basketball. I'm sure they're going to give us more, more stuff to stress about over the last couple of weeks of the season. I'm almost certain of that. So uh, yeah, I really appreciate you taking your time uh, to talk, Aaron, and uh, have the good rest of your night. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. And just remember, as you as you know, rooting for Rutgers basketball is never easy. So expect a roller coaster ride the rest of the way. Cool.